joining you after the Raiders opened the season against the Broncos with a 24-16 win. Uh, most people had picked the Broncos, I'm sorry, most people had picked the Raiders to beat the Broncos in the opener, including myself, and I'm pretty sure Tyler did as well. Um, you see anything in that game that surprised you, uh, Tyler? Yeah, the thing that surprised me was you have Vic Fangio, who is this dynamic and fantastic defensive coach and has essentially been the best defensive coordinator in football for the last 10 years, as far as I'm concerned, you know, unless you consider Wade Phillips that. But I, I think Fangio is just a little bit better. Um, but but the, def, the Denver defense looked awful. Uh, they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, their scheme did not really have an answer for what the Raiders were running, and he just looked discombobulated on both sides of the ball. I thought he'd have it together a little bit more. So that was really what surprised me the most about the game. Well, I mean, he is a is, is he's a first year coach. It might take a little bit of time for everything to kind of come together. I think the I think the the Broncos overall are just kind of. You know, you look at their roster, and it seems to me they're kind of just just a kind of lacking overall talent. And there's a lot of new players on the team, so you know, you new coach, new players, things just take a little bit of time to to mesh, perhaps. And I think even even if they were meshed, they're just not considered um, to be a very talented team. And you know, Joe Flacco is not exactly you know going to light the world on fire. He'll he'll throw a Nice deep bomb every now and then. A nice beautiful pass that makes you wonder why you don't see more of it. But that's just kind of what he brings to the table. You know, he's capable of doing some impressive things, but he just doesn't do it very often. I think uh, I think the the thing that most people expected was to see a little bit more from the Broncos' pass rush. Uh, I certainly. That's the thing I had been keeping my eye out for. And in part, I think the Raiders neutralized their pass rush by getting rid of the ball quickly, doing a lot of short passes, uh, quick passes, and things like that. I saw at least one instance where there was pressure coming toward Derek Carr, and he recognized the pressure and immediately the ball to uh, to, uh, Dwayne Harris on a short pass, like, like he was the outlet, like Dwayne Harris was the outlet in case some pressure got in um, Carr's face. And to his credit, to Derek Carr's credit, he recognized the pressure and got rid of the ball very quickly. So the result was that not only did the Broncos get no sacks, and we're talking about a team that has arguably the best pass rush duo in the NFL, if not one of them for sure, in Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. And not only did they get no sacks, but they didn't even get any hits on Derek Carr in that game. And you, if you want to give the offensive line credit or you want to give the game plan credit, regardless where the credit goes, that's the key to the Raiders offense having success this season. And so that was a, a very impressive way to start the season. Well, I think that just goes to show Derek Carr's uh, second year in the system. He has a little bit more mastery of what John Gruden wants him to do, and he can react more quickly to situations changing, where if there's pressure coming in, he can say, okay, my check down's here, and he can throw it immediately and know exactly where that guy is supposed to be. 
And there were times when he would go back for a five and seven step drop and the line would just encircle him and nobody got close to him and he could, he could throw deep. And both of those situations are going to become necessary in the course of the game. And he can read and react to what's going on much more quick, quickly this year than he did last year when he seemed to panic when he saw things break down or when the, when the pocket wasn't clean. The pocket was mostly clean, if not entirely clean tonight, um, or, or on Monday night. And uh, he, he just did a great job seeing what was there and taking what the defense gave him. Um, and he just shredded the, the Denver secondary. It was really nice to see. Um, so it, he, we, know, we know he has his most success when he's, when he's in the second year of a system because he's had a lot of coaching changes so far in his career. Um, so I think we're going to see the best of Derek Carr this year, and, and, and Monday night was no exception. The thing we talk about, I mean, I was just saying how he got rid of the ball really quickly a lot of times, but he didn't always. There were a few instances in this game where I mean, he took a, he threw the ball over 20 yards through the air, which is something he didn't do much of last year. Almost never did he throw the ball more than 20 yards in the air, and he had several passes that, uh, that went deep downfield, uh, some of which were, were quite impressive, and most of them went to – Tyrell Williams and Darren Waller. Those were his his favorite targets. They were the two uh, leading receivers on the team. His uh, The longest passes that the Raiders had were the deep pass to Tyrell Williams that went 43 yards. It was a post pattern right up the, right up the middle of the field. And that certainly, he needed some time to, to just hang back and get that ball through the air. And it was a perfect pass right in stride to uh, Terrell Williams up the middle of the field for 43 yards. Uh, and you, that was that was the longest one by far, but there were several others. I mean, um, the next longest pass was a was that dump off to Jacobs that he had a, most of most of that was yak, so I wouldn't really necessarily consider that one. The next one was to was to Waller up the up the sideline for 25 yards and that was, that was also a masterful throw and an even more masterful catch. Waller just went up and just snagged it out of the air and pulled it in. And, and that's when you, that's when you kind of do a double take and you, you look at what uh, you look at Waller and you're like, this is what you've seen from him. That's what I, when I say you, I mean me <laughs> and others, when you're talking about like uh, training camp and stuff like that. And the, in the coaching staff, as you see this, he's got, tremendous athleticism and he's a he's a fantastic hands catcher and he just haven't he just hasn't been able to stay clean and get the get the opportunity well he's had the opportunity he hasn't been able to stay clean to give himself the chance to really flourish and uh, we heard some of that story in training camp on hard knocks and and it's a very inspirational story. A lot of people are rooting for him. Uh, in fact, Derek Carr had a really nice little um, speech, if you will, during post game about um, Waller and his story. And to see him come out there and light it up the way that he did was pretty impressive. So, so that trio right there in the passing game was showcased for big time in this game. There was another pass over the middle to Terrell Williams. That was also probably what I thought his best pass, and uh, uh, Evan Grote, one of our writers, called that his the turning point play of the game, and I agree with him completely. It was a pass right over the middle, with and uh, Williams had defenders bookending him, one in front of him and one behind him, and 
and Carr just put it perfectly up, uh, over the the defender in front of him and into Williams' arms, and he and he pulled it down. And the next play, he got to the four yard line, and the next play, Jacobs got in for the touchdown. And then, of course, uh, he also threw a touchdown pass to Terrell Williams. So I just was really impressed with that that trio, especially when you consider that they had a lot to prove. I'm, they, they don't want to admit it, but they had a lot, they had a lot to prove to themselves and to everybody else to say, Hey, uh, we didn't need it. We don't need Antonio Brown here. Sure. He would make the offense better, you know, barring the off field stuff, but that they can function at a high level um, even without him. Well, the one tangible benefit that I've seen from Antonio Brown not being present for the majority of camp and, and preseason practice was the fact that Tyrell Williams has been acting as the number one receiver when otherwise if Antonio Brown had been there, Williams would have been the number two guy and might not have gotten as many targets during practice as he has otherwise. Uh, Carr has been treating him as the top guy for the last month and a half, and it showed. Carr trusts Williams. Carr knows exactly where to put the ball so that Williams is the only guy who can go up and get it. Um, Williams has that has that trust, that bond with Carr right now, that rapport that you want your quarterback and your number one receiver to get. Uh, and I don't know if he would have that if Antonio Brown were still in the picture. I understand exactly what you're saying. If it, if uh, and if it, if AB had been all through camp, if he'd been here uh, uh, on the field in camp, and they'd been running their offense with him as in, in as part of it. They uh, and then suddenly lost him. That would be more jarring than the situation that they're in now, where they're like, "Well, we're just going to do what we've been doing." And this is what Gruden keeps saying, and what he keep—he's getting downright frustrated with people um, talking about is the fact that um, they're used to him not <laughs> to Antonio Brown not being there. They're just basically doing the same thing they did all camp. And, and I mean, there's it's it's not quite that simple because they certainly had a lot of plays called for Antonio, and they and they were just basically had they had guys in there that were placeholders, guys like JJ Nelson and Ryan Grant would, would go in there, and certainly they got bene- they got a benefit from the extra reps. But the whole time they're thinking, okay, you're just here temporarily, <laughs> you're just here to to be the the guy acting like Antonio Brown until he's able to return. But for the most part, yeah, I think I think they're, you're definitely on to something. The fact that that it wasn't just a sudden thing. Sure, sure it happened just before the season, but um, they've been without him for a while. So having Williams working as that number one receiver, he just kind of continues to do so. And he looked every bit the number one receiver last night. Six catches, 105 yards, um, and a touchdown. And the last catch... The one that put him over 100 yards uh, was also a huge one. They were trying to run the clock out. They were in third and eight. And you could tell Carr knew where he was going with the ball all along. But he he looked right really quick and then jumped jumped left really fast and threw as he turned to – and he got it and he took it for 10 yards, gave him the first down, and they were able to, uh, to run out the clock from there and, and, and seal the win. So, I mean, that was just a monumental game by, by Terrell Williams and uh, by Derek Carr as well. And so those, like, again, those, that, those three right there. And just the added little thing with Darren Waller, 
um, as he also had, he's also replacing Jared Cook. You know, Jared Cook was in the first half, the first half of that double header, Monday night double header. So you, as soon as the, right after seeing Jared Cook with, with the Saints in the first um, leg of that double header, you go to the Raiders and Darren Waller knows what kind of numbers he has to put up that, that night to uh, outdo his predecessor. As, as good as Cook was last year, and he was very good, I don't really think the Raiders are going to miss a beat with Darren Waller. He's just so fast and so dynamic and so big, and he's still like a wide receiver. And I just really think he's going to be a real boon for the Raiders this year. But the thing that made me happiest about the Raiders' passing attack uh, was they didn't really drop any passes. Uh, Derek Carr has been victimized in his career so far by drop passes from his receivers. When he put good passes on there, they would just – they would just have brain farts and they would drop the ball. And Mari Cooper did this all the time. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do it for Dallas a whole lot, but he certainly did when he was in Oakland. That's the difference between him then and him now. Uh, and, and any Raider fan could tell you that, but the, the Raiders receivers as it stands right now are very sure-handed and very reliable. Uh, and if Derek Carr is going to put up 22 of 26, then he needs his guys to have good hands. And it looks like they do, uh, but he doesn't put up a performance like that where he was, you know, pro football focus is high, highest rated passer on the weekend, even surpassing Lamar Jackson, uh, if his guys don't catch. And, and everything he, he threw out there was on the money. Um, there were a couple of passes which got away from him, one of which was batted down at the line, so you can't really necessarily put that one on him, but almost everything he threw out there was a laser. It was just perfect. Uh, and that's what you want to see from him. Um, because with, without his efficiency, the Raiders probably don't win the game, and they probably don't win a whole lot of games this year, um, just because their talent level, even though it's much better than last year, isn't on par with who we consider the playoff teams going forward in 2019. So he's going to have to be exceptional, and his receivers are as well. The, the thing about the receivers, we were talk about that top trio there and his, how, how great Williams was and Darren Wall. And thing and, and as you said the uh he didn't get a lot of drops i only saw one pass that i might consider a drop brian grant it was a really short pass but the de- defender was close by it looked like he he should have had that catch but overall um yeah you're right you're right i mean he only had four incompletions and the the other incompletions were were for the most part just well played defensive you know situations where the ball was knocked down by the defender. You said you said one was one was batted down at the line because uh, because Colton Milder had a very poor attempt at a cut block. The thing about the rest of his receivers, though, is you just they didn't have much in the way of production. Uh, you you look at what uh, what Terrell Williams and Darren Waller did, but after that. Um, as far as the receivers are concerned, you didn't get much. Grant had three catches for 16 yards, and uh, Renfro had two for 13. And uh, I think, yeah, most of those came on one pass. That was it was a very a key pass that put them in first and goal situation. But that was that was all they had. And, and then that really quick pass to to Dwayne Harris. So you get with. D- with Waller and Williams, you get 175 receiving yards. And then all those other wide receivers. And then if you add in the uh, two passes to Foster Moreau, you get 56 yards. And that's, that's just not a lot of 
yards from your receiving your receiving core outside of those top two guys. So they're going to need to find that somewhere. I mean, I, I thought J.J. Nelson, I personally, I thought he was going to start based on what I saw from him in camp, not just from a talent perspective, but because uh, when in most cases when they were trying to f- fill the void from for Antonio Brown not being there, um, Nelson most closely filled the skill set, certainly not the talent, but from a skill set standpoint, the uh, the speed, uh, the deep passing ability. Um, and, but I think maybe Nelson is still recovering from his ankle injury, so he's, he might not be completely back from that. It just didn't you know, seem like the Raiders ran that many plays. It, it seemed like both teams were trying to chew clock uh, quite a bit on their drives. Uh, but the Raiders might have had 50, 55 plays. I mean, there's only so many passes to go around, especially when you you feed Josh Jacobs as many times as they did. Uh, there's yeah. there's there's only so many passes that you can throw in a game like that. Um, you know, especially when you really, really when you have a big lead like the Raiders did, they just really wanted to grind it out. Uh, and so I they weren't you know throwing the long bombs like they would have last year or the year before that if they were behind. Um, you, you're just not going to get the production in a situation like that. Uh, that's a good point. They they did they gave Jacobs the ball twenty three times, which is, um, I mean, they never Marshawn Lynch never got the ball that many times when he was the workhorse back, and uh, Latavius Murray didn't see the ball uh, that often that with that many. I mean, just I'm just kind of thinking of the last few. Uh, Doug Martin didn't see the ball that much. Usually, usually the the running backs uh, under Gruden and even before that would see. Probably about fifty percent. The top back would see about fifty percent, and then it'd be divvied up twenty-five percent to the other backs. But Jacobs saw twenty-three carries, and the other backs saw three combined between Washington and Richard. So they relied heavily on Jacobs. Yeah, there were more rushing attempts than there were pass attempts in this game, which is unusual. In today's day and age, usually you're about to, you're all about the aerial attack. But I think you're right; they were just trying to uh, grind it out. They were up like twenty-four to six at one point, and they were just trying to kill as much clock as they could. I mean, it ended up working, um, but they did give the ball back. But they, they were just trying to run a play, wait forty seconds, run another play. You're, you just don't have that many attempts when that happens. Um, until you know, if they if the Raiders were to get behind, if they were to increase the tempo, then I think you're going to see your secondary receivers get a lot more targets and a lot more opportunities, and you're going to see their production go way up. But Monday night was not the time for that. I still think I, you know, we talked about how when Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams were the starters, how the Raiders receiving core was pretty deep, so deep that you know Keelan Doss was was became a a casualty in all this and he was you know brought back after brown was gone but he was inactive for the first game and but you know as deep as they were that also kind of depended on them being like crazy talented as far as the starters were concerned and once you lost the largest piece of that you realize okay they're deep but they're after terrell williams there isn't much left and in and it was kind of one of those things that I sort of discovered when I took a, a closer look at the the receiving core without Brown and realized that 
the production that they had combined last season, all the ones that were in the NFL last season, um, was pretty pathetic. It was just over a thousand yards, all of them combined. And JJ Nelson in particular only had 64 yards of receiving last year. 64. He caught six passes for 64 yards. So uh, six or seven passes, something like that. But that is that's ridiculous. Yeah, I was. I thought that had to have been a typo. Sixty-four yards, and that's it in the entire season. And we're talking about the possibility of him being a starter on this team. Um, they may be deep, but they're not really talented at the top. And you got Terrell Williams, and then a bunch of question marks. So well, wasn't he with the Cardinals um, last year? He was. Yeah. Well, that explains better, that. Well, it does partially explain it. He had better numbers the year before before the year before that and i think uh i think maybe ryan grant did as well when he when he was in washington he had better numbers than when he played in um, indianapolis but the thing is is it's interesting and i don't harp on this too much but uh i was talking with uh, ted Wynn at, at the stadium before the game started and, and he kind of mentioned to me and he tweeted this out today and i i didn't tweet it out because i thought i thought it was a really good point i didn't tweet it out before he said it he was the one who brought it up and it hadn't occurred to me before this that had the Raiders not been able to had they not successfully I use that in quotation um, traded for Antonio Brown they would have drafted Marquise Brown in the draft very likely um, or uh, McLaurin out of uh, Ohio State and both those guys had just fantastic opening weekends. And I thought that, that Marquise Brown is the best receiver in this draft class. They could have had him at the bottom of the first round. And I thought he would have been perfect for this team. I thought for sure he, he, uh, he had to be on their radar and then, but they're like, no, well, we're not going to draft a receiver because we got, we got our two guys in free agency one of them with the uh, trade, but you know, you got our, they got their two, they got two big fish. They reeled in. And then Antonio Brown's gone, and then they don't have, they didn't draft a, a receiver until the fifth round, and now they're kind of oh crap. They they are in a bit of a yeah. pickle, and I do think they will uh, target wide receiver with one of their two first rounders in the next draft. Um, Jerry Judy is obviously the top guy, but Colorado's Lavisca Chenault is another guy that could be a top no. ten pick. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just throwing those names out there <laughs> just because we're talking about it. I'm not doing a draft preview right now. We, we just finished the first game. I don't think we're ready to start thinking about the 2020 draft. Hey, but, college football's been going. I've been watching. I've been studying and doing my I homework. I know, I know. And I know there are a lot of people who are totally into it right along with you. And I'm sure, you know, shortly after maybe – a couple of months into the season, we can really start diving deep into that. But anyway, so uh, the next thing, uh, I guess, you know, we already talked about all the carries that he got. I mean, he had 3.7 yards per carry, but I don't think that really captured what he was able to accomplish in this game. A lot of those were, were running him in short yard situations because they were, they came, they found themselves, they put themselves in third and short quite a bit in this game and that that's a really good thing for the most part um better than third and long and uh and when that happened a lot of times they just handed the ball off to jacobs and he got him a a couple few yards to get that first down and so you can't really judge his 
yards per carry when you think about it in those terms. And he also had a couple of touchdowns. And of course, the big stat was that he was the first running back since 2001 to have over 100 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns in his debut, which is a lot of details to put together. But it's still a very impressive impressive start. 23 carries for 85 yards and a couple of touchdowns. And he had a big uh, 20, that big 28 yard uh, catch and run as well. Uh, a lot of, he's been kind of the talk of the Raiders offense for the most part after that opener. What'd you, what, what did you think of what you saw from him? Well, I, I thought um, he ran hard. I thought he ran really well and he ran efficiently. Both of his touchdown runs were short yardage, so he can only go so far. He didn't break off a big run like I was hoping he would, but he did have that 28-yard pass and run, uh, which is just as good uh, in my book. Um, But he wore down the Broncos' defense by the end of the game, and those long runs will come. Um, I'm expecting really big things from him. Um, As far as the Ladanian Tomlinson stat, i got to be honest, I watched a lot of Tomlinson at TCU. Jacobs reminds me of him quite a bit. Um, And I'm just hoping against hope that he has a similar career. Um, because Tomlinson is one of the greatest players in NFL history. Uh, he has that touchdown single season record. Um, if Jacobs can be a fraction of that, we'll be happy with him. Um, but I was very excited, both in real life and for fantasy football purposes, with what he brought to the table. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I've quite seen the uh, Ladanian Tomlinson comparison. I mean, but we'll give some time. Tomlinson was a was an amazing back. He had a few seasons there where he was just untouchable, and and he destroyed the Raiders. Oh my God, he's just ripped through the Raiders. He he loved playing the Raiders. <laughs> Perhaps that's why I I remember seeing him at his best so many times because when he played the Raiders, he was at his best. So well, he, uh, ran let's, with, he ran with uh, I think power, that... and he ran with elusiveness, and he could catch the ball really well out of the backfield. Uh, and those were the hallmarks of his playing style, and I see mm. all three of those traits in in Jacobs. Oh yeah, they they uh, I certainly see the the you know checking the boxes there. I just I, I guess I just see Jacobs as more of a one cut and go kind of plow through the defender type of runner. Um, Ladanian Thomas seemed a little bit more uh, more quick, shifty type of back. I I always kind of thought Ladanian Tomlinson probably emulated his game after Barry Sanders. And I don't, I don't say that to, to mean that Tomlinson was on Sanders level because not many, if any are, but those are those, that's where I drew those comparisons. I'm not sure where, honestly, where I would compare Jacobs. I I think probably because I just haven't seen enough from him because his college tape, there's just not a lot there. Yeah, I I would agree with that. his style, I think, is similar. I, th- I think the last question that we uh, that I had, and I, I never really like asked this openly, but the last question I had was uh, was where the pass rush was going to come from for the Raiders because we didn't see a lot of it in the preseason, and I didn't see a lot of it in camp either. I mean, they're supposed to have upgraded it with uh, with a couple of their new additions, like uh, of course Cleveland Farrell with the fourth overall pick, and and bringing in Benson Mayoa. He was the uh, the free the one free agent pass rusher they got, but I hadn't really seen a lot from him in the preseason in camp, and so I was you know starting to wonder if they were going to be the answer. And lo and behold, 
They had three sacks, and they all came from Benson Mayoa and Cleveland Farrell. So they answered that question in some some regard. Mayoa had two sacks, the first Raider to do that since Khalil Mack in 2017 to have two sacks in a game. And uh, Farrell's was kind of a cheap sack in a way. It was more Joe Flacco standing in the in the pocket for three days, um, making a lunch and um, taking a nap. But to his credit, Farrell eventually got there, and so he got a sack in his first game as a pro. So that was pretty nice for him to get that. If you were to tell me before the game that one team had three sacks and the other had none, I would have said, oh, yeah, this is the Broncos. Broncos had three sacks and the Raiders had none <laughs> because that's what you expect based on last year. But it was the other way. They flipped the script, and so it was pretty interesting. Well, a feral sack was a coverage sack, which we have not seen the Raiders force many, if any of those, in the last couple of years just because their secondary has been so porous and, and quarterbacks are able to throw on time and in rhythm. But Flacco went back there. He, he stood up in the pocket. He read some war and peace. And by the time he found anybody open, uh, Cleveland Farrell was upon him. Uh, and he came down with fire and brimstone. And it, w- it was fantastic to see. <laughs> Flacco surveyed the field and he found nothing whatsoever. And it was great. Um, Vontae's Brivik had a sack in the first quarter, which was wiped out mm. by a completely bogus illegal contact penalty That's on Jonathan true. Abram, as I recall. So really they had four, but if you recall in the preseason, the Raiders were averaging uh, about three and a half sacks a game. So they just sort of kept up what they were doing uh, in the last four games previous to this, even though those are second stringers against second stringers, third stringers against third stringers, you could see uh, that Paul Gunther's system was starting to work as far as finding ways to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, and the Broncos' offensive line isn't great, but it's not terrible either. Um, so I think for the Raiders to, to come out and, and say, this is who we are, we're going to get to the quarterback as often as possible. And for Mayo, Mayo to get two sacks on his own is just fantastic. Um, I don't know if they're going to average three sacks a game. It certainly would be nice. Um, but more than one a game, I think it's gravy as far as considering what what happened last year and how bad that was. Yeah, to get three sacks in the first game when they had 13 all last season combined, that's a, that, that's a pretty good percentage of what you did last season. And as far as like, I want to be clear about when I say I didn't see the, I didn't see it in the preseason and where's the pass rush coming from. I want to be clear that I'm talking about the edge rushers. Most of the sacks we saw the Raiders get in the preseason were 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 blitzes, were were stunts, you know, getting getting in the backfield like Perfect did in in this game. And yeah, sure, that would and should bring up the the sack totals if uh, Gunther is able to dial those up on a regular basis. But what you need to consistently have a good pass rush is you need it from your edge rushers. You need those guys around the outside to get the, to get to the quarterback and to see Mayoa and, uh, and if, and Farrell get back there, that, uh, that shows a little bit of promise, even though, as we've said, that was a coverage sack. I, I mean, it's hard to even call that a coverage sack simply because at some point Flacco absolutely should have just thrown the ball away the coverage is one thing but you can't just stand there and just kind of bounce back and forth and then bounce a little faster and then bounce a little faster and realize oh no i have no place to go freaking ball in your hands it's just weird 
I think Vic Tafer had the, the the joke of the night where he said he uh, the grandfather clock and his that he had in the pocket. <laughs> Just like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, yeah, but hey, Farrell will take it. And I talked to him after the game, and he was basically like, he was just, he felt a little, he felt some pressure to to get that first sack, and he feels feels a lot of relief, it just getting it out of the way, because he didn't get a lot, he didn't get, you know, I don't think he got any sacks in in the preseason, and what he did, he just basically showed he can. He's good at run support, but that's not why he was drafted. He wasn't drafted here to stop the run. He was drafted to get after the quarterback. And so to get that out of the way, so you don't have that zero the way that Arden Key did for half the season. And then, you know, after he got his one, he didn't get any more the rest of the season. To get that out of the way early on is a – can he feels like he can play a little more freely from here on out? I, I, I guess the only thing I I think the only thing that we haven't really talked about is the fact that uh, when Gary and Conley went down, um, everybody's worried about Gary being a serious injury. He turns out to be okay, and then out of the blue, uh, Jonathan Abram has a shoulder injury. One report says he's going to have surgery and it looks like he's going to miss the rest of the season. The other says that he's gotten a diagnosis that he's going to need surgery. He's going to seek a second. Not having and in hopes of getting better news. So where he won't have to get, go down for the rest of the season, but it doesn't look good. looks like uh, Raiders are going to lose their first round starting safety in the first game of the season. And uh, that's not good. That is not good, and he was playing so well. And uh, for God's sake, if the man tore his rotator cuff in his labrum in the first quarter, he played the rest of the game with his hair on fire despite that. Uh, I have no idea where or when he hurt himself or how on earth he finished the game um, with the play style that he employed for the remainder of the game. Uh, The guy's tough as nails, Uh, hoping for the best. Uh, preparing for the worst. And I, I, you know, Eric Harris is still on the team as far as I know. Um, so I imagine he'll get a lot more playing time. As far as I know. Who knows? I don't yes, know. yes, he's still on the team. And Curtis, it was Curtis Riley who stepped in for him in the game. And he'd just kind of come in here and there. And I also could not see any specific thing. Usually it's some kind of tackle they make. You can see, oh, look at that. That's probably where it happened. And the closest I can tell is like, I think the second play of the second quarter, he makes a tackle on Philip Lindsay to where he, um, he pulls Lindsay down onto him and he rolls over him. Um, but they're saying that it happened in the first quarter and he had no contact with anyone in the first quarter. I think he was I think he was on the field for maybe four plays in the first quarter. So if he heard it in the first quarter, it had to have been a non-contact injury, which is odd if a rotator cuff and a, yeah. and a labrum. How, to... how do you tear your rotator cuff and your labrum in a non-contact injury? That's bizarre. I, I'm, it's a mystery to me. If it happened on that tackle, Lindsay, that would make some sense. But the thing is, is that it seemed before that it's his. It's got to be his left shoulder, because I was watching the I was watching the tape, and 
he was he looked like he was he had been kind of favoring his left shoulder. Riley came in for him for this last two the last two plays of the first quarter. So I'd have to think that that he probably hurt himself on the on the play just before that. And Riley came in and then he came back in to start the second quarter. Um, but like I said, if that was the case, then it wasn't a contact thing. And it looked like he was already favoring that, that left arm. He was, when he was doing like hand signals and stuff, he was doing it all with his right hand and his left arm was almost down to his side, like the whole, like pretty much the whole time. But he did finish out the game, including playing every snap on the last two drives that, I mean, yes, it's impressive, but i think it would probably have been smarter not to do that. I mean, because if you've already torn it, you can only do more damage. Just like don't don't be a tough guy. You hate to say because because you know that that Gruden encourages uh, guys playing with serious injury. He did it with Colton Miller last year, and and he talks about how how much he loves it when the guys tough it out like that, but. You just got to be smart with stuff like that. If uh, I, I could understand from his point of view, he's like, "This is my first game, first quarter, and I and I suffer an injury. There's no way I'm coming out of this game because this is my this is my NFL debut, and I'm just going to fight through it." And uh, and at the time, I'm sure he probably thought it was something that just hurt worse than it actually, as far as its severity. So it looks like we're going to see more Curtis Lofton and. Eric Harris for the rest of the season from the sounds of it. Oh, Jesus, I knew I was going to do that. You, yes, Chris you, Riley. You, you typed <laughs> you in your story that. earlier, you know. I did because uh, I almost typed it in a tweet too. Uh, did you did you correct it? Did you? I I did not. Did. I just I read it in passing and I had to do something else. But yeah, <sighs> it, it's in there. The names all run together. But anyway, <laughs> it, it's. Uh, Let's uh, let's let's wrap this thing up. Uh, I think we've covered everything, and we'll get to the Chiefs on the short week in um, short order. As for now, I think we've uh, we've ran through it, and we'll see you next time on the Silver and Black Pride Cast.